Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Chapter number 13, the last time we were together, we spoke about Jeroboam, how he set up a new religion right there in the northern area. Now, we know that Judah is in the southern area, and the northern area of the nation will be called Israel. Now, Jeroboam has established a a pagan worship system found in the northern area, uh, reminiscent of what Aaron did whenever he came out of Egypt with Moses. And Moses goes up to the mountain, and Aaron said, I just created a calf. It's almost as it jumped out of the fire as he was explaining away on why this pagan um, ceremony took place. Now we see that Jeroboam has established it because he wanted to make sure to unify the northern region of Israel not to go back to Jerusalem because that's where Rehoboam was. Rehoboam and the Levitical priesthood were being faithful to God because, not because they were faithful, but because God is faithful. When he told he told Jeroboam, he told Rehoboam that I will keep a man on the throne here because of my covenant with David that God is faithful. Now, we go into chapter 13 tonight. We're going to get through this whole chapter. In this chapter we're going to see both kingdoms coming into play. We'll actually see a prophet and a man of God showing up in chapter number 13. Go ahead and turn to chapter 13 and we start breaking this down. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. Already we need to begin to break this down to see what we're talking about here. Many people have speculated on who this man of God is. And there have been many people who wonder, well, why is Jeroboam beside the altar here at giving service unto the Lord? Because in the office ship of the Levitical priesthood, the priests are called the, 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 the gift offering, and the, Levit- the Levitical priesthood and the servants are all to be broken up in different sections of the synagogue or the temple. The king is not to be the one to go in and leave these ceremonies. The priest is. Now, the, God had ordained this to keep men from getting big-headed and believing that church couldn't be had unless they were there. Uh, uh, let me explain. The, the king would say, well, I'm so important that I'll be the priest if it r- reminiscent of what Saul did whenever he came in before the Lord without Samuel there, and he overstepped the position that God had placed him in. That's much like our congregation. There, there should be a pastor. There could be more than one pastor. In fact, the Bible talks about a plural priesthood, a plural uh, pastor, but that's not in our denomination. I understand that, but I'm just talking biblical here. That there should be deacons that take care of the, the concerns of the church. There should be a plural eldership is what the Bible says. That there should be pa- pastors to take care of the congregation. And they should not overstep. That, that means that I shouldn't go into your house and snatch your checkbook and try to make you spend your money the way I think. That, that's overstepping. Or tell you to paint your house a certain color. That That's overstepping. That you handle your business but as adhering unto the Lord listening to the pastors and the leadership of the church. That's why God has divisioned it like he has. And now we see that Jeroboam is standing by the altar to make offerings. First of all, Jeroboam should not be beside these two calves making offerings. And next of all, he should have had a Levitical priest there. In fact, the altar shouldn't even be there because we see in the previous chapter, he established it there. I want to let you know that at this point in chapter 13, that Jeroboam has ran all the Levitical priests out of the northern kingdom of Israel. How do I know that? Well, we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 11 verse 14, if you are taking 
notes, you can write that down. Second Chronicles chapter 11, verse 14. For the Levites left their common lands and their holdings and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons cast them from serving as priests of the Lord. We see it again in Second Chronicles 11 verse 16. And those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after them from the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Uh, this is letting us know that even though in the northern regions there was a pagan system being put in place by Jeroboam, there were those who would still go down to Jerusalem. We alluded to the last time we were together in chapter number 12 that the convenience of these two calves that were there, it was, it was put there for convenience. The easiness of just going to church here and started going all the way down to Jerusalem. Jeroboam says, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to go all the way, make the trek all the way to Jerusalem to go serve the Lord. Look, I have put this calf here right outside your city and we can worship there. You can just stream it from your couch. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. No. When I say stream it from your couch, for those who are not acquainted, you can stream church now. In most churches, you can't hear, uh, we don't have an internet signal. Maybe that's God's working because I probably would stream it, but we want to encourage you to be here because you can have a fireplace on your TV and you can see the crackling and the sparks and you can enjoy the fireplace on your TV, but you won't feel the heat. Do you understand what I mean? Well, you can. You need to be at the house of the Lord. You are uh, you're participating in worship. You are actually the church when you are in the house of the Lord as He commands here. But here we see that Jeroboam has made it convenient. He's made it easy for those in Israel not not to worship the Lord. In fact, to worship another God. It's very faulty to, to include Jesus or the God of Scripture along beside all the other gods. That's mixing truth with lies. Amen. The Quran should not sit next to the Bible. The, the, the Torah it should sit, to, sit next to the Pentateuch, which is the same thing. And it should sit to, next to the, the New Testament. But those are, those are exclusive. The 66 books are, are, are all there is. That's the, what we believe as the Word of God. The, the Book of Mormon should not sit next to the Bible. There is nothing on that level. We adhere solely to the Bible and the Bible alone. But we hear here, we see here that Jeroboam is now tossing out the commands found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where the, the Levitical priests are to be the ones who are to minister, let alone at the altar of God. And this certainly is not the altar of God. If you remember back in chapter number 12. Jeroboam tells the people, Behold, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. If anything, it's giving credit to God's power to something else that's obsolete, that's made of stone, made of gold, plaster, wood. That We do the same thing when we give credit to something else than when God has done it. When God has sustained you, it's not the vaccine. It wasn't mass that helped you and kept you. It's not your food stamps. It's not your SSI check or Social Security. It's not even your job and your pension and your salary that kept you. It's been God. So let's give credit where credit is due. Give God glory tonight saying that God has sustained me these last two years. If you're honest, you'll say the last 40 to 60 to 70, 80 years, he has kept me. It was him, nobody else. There are no golden calves. It was him. If there's golden calves in your life, let's pull them out and smash them tonight. Amen? Uh, let's go ahead. He said, he's standing beside the altar to make offerings. I want to let you know that many theologians have been questioning and wondering when we get to chapter number 6, who this prophet will be that will come up and, and challenge Jeroboam. And we'll get to that in a moment. 
And verse number 1, Behold, a man of God came out of Judah. That's the man of God. Who is this man? Well, many people say we find him in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 29. I'll say it again for those taking notes. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 29. This is how it's written in 2 Chronicles. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon were from first to last. Are they not written in history of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shalonite and in the visions of Ida the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nabat? Here we see in that text that the person who is mentioned here, the behold the man of God that came out of Judah, it points to the man known as Ida, this man who rose up and received a revelation from God. He comes up, he come up to Judah, he comes up from the word of the Lord to Bethel. Now we remember, remember as we were studying before in the book of, uh, the book of Genesis where, uh, where we see where, no it's not the book of Genesis, it's earlier on where, uh, where Jacob is there and he's, he's praying and he calls this place Jacob's Ladder. We know the story where Jacob takes a stone and lays his head there and wrestles with the Lord all night. And he sees a ladder. Well really what he means is a staircase. He sees where heaven and earth meet and there's traffic there. Now I want to let you know that we still believe in Jacob's Ladder. We just call him Jesus. That's where heaven and earth meets. Amen. Where there is traffic in the only way, the only door, the only exit is Christ himself. Notice in the Old Testament we always see illusions and we also also see shadows of what will be fulfilled in Christ and Jacob ladder has fully been fulfilled in Christ amen somebody that's just a little something extra for you to take home and the man verse number two cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said O altar thus says the Lord behold a son will be born to the house of David Josiah by name and he shall be he he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you and human bones shall be burned on you and he said and he gave a sign the same day saying this is the sign that the Lord has spoken behold the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out this guy is so negative I can't believe he said those horrible and mean things to people who are worshiping. Oh, well, it must be warranted because what they're doing must be against the one true God. He's speaking and preaching against them. He, he would not be invited in most churches today. Oh, you, you, he, he, would, he would prophesy against the service and prophesy against the altar. He calls the altar and he mentions someone by name, Josiah, a descendant from the house of David. Now this will take place in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. Josiah will rise up and God will reform the nation and he will come in and purge the evil from among the nation. But however, it takes 400 years. Not that God is slow and not that he is slow as molasses. He allows time. He, he allows people to, to, to heap up the wrath. He allows people just enough leash to hang themselves. He allows people to be in wickedness because that's what they choose. In fact, he gives 400 years for them to repent, but they don't. How long does he give us? Uh, our nation is coming up on 400 years. And to imagine that we can go so, so, so pagan, to go so far from the other way. We can see here that this nation has just started. And we see that Jeroboam has just erected this temple or this altar worship here of another God. And now he's already prophesying, I'm going to tear this place down. Is what the Lord of hosts says to the young man who comes from Judah. 
we, we see that he says, this is the sign I want to show. I, this is the sign. This is what you can bank on. When this happens, you'll know what I'm saying. Here's the sign. This is the sign the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it will pour, be poured out. Now, why in verse 3 is that so important that if the ashes are poured out? Well, it, it, for some reason, they're traditional. They're a traditional church, even though they're, 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 they're against the church there in Jerusalem. Now, I want to let you know that on the mountain that here that Jeroboam is on, if you stood outside the, the temple that Solomon built, you can look over across the valleys and see the altar that Jeroboam has built. So in the face of God, this is a counter service, a counter, a counterfeit uh, a ministry that's saying it's a convenience ministry. We accept any and everybody. I mean, you don't have to keep all the rules, just some of the rules. You can kind of buffet it. You know what buffet it means, where you just walk down the line and say, well, I like potato salad. Well, I like the well, that's got pickles in it. I ain't going to get it. But you can pick and choose as you move along, and when you get to the end, you just pay for it. But this is not a this is not a buffet style uh, Bible. It's not a buffet style Bible. We just don't go in and clip out what we like and take it how we want it. And we can rearrange it, treating the Bible like it was a big glob of Play-Doh, sculpt again, making it into what we want. It, it is what it is. It, it says what it says. When we read the text, we don't say, "Well, that means this to me." I don't care what it means to me. I don't care what it means to me or what it means to you. What does it mean? What does it say? Putting it in context that we don't have a buffet religion. We don't have a buffet God. Oh, go ahead and pick out what you want. You don't, you don't like oysters. Don't get on. You can get shrimp. Oh, you, okay, you can get steak or pork chop. Y'all can tell I might be a little hungry. I might be. But I might be. I'm just saying. But we can see here that this is not a pick and choose ministry. But the reason that ashes, if they were to spill in that place, it would defile this altar. Because they are to take those ashes according to the statutes and the standards of God and the book of Deuteronomy to another place and spread them out in a place that's considered clean. But if they were to be spilled out there, it would defile the altar. You see how pagans and unbelievers are so quick to hold on to their systematic traditions. Now, there's a difference between history and traditions. Oh, I want to I wanna remember our history. Remember our church. Our church is over 100 years old. We've had at least 15 pastors, maybe 13. I might be lucky with 13. I don't know. But we, we've had many good pastors here in the 100-year tenure that God has blessed our beautiful little church. And we need to remember that. But there's some traditions that we don't need to keep. We don't need to keep all the tradition. We need to stay biblical. Is that all right? I hope I ain't offended nobody. I hope I'm just laying it out there and letting you know that we're going to go with what the Bible says. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I know we, we just want to stay legal. Well, you know, they legalized sodomy and gay marriage just yesterday across the nation. We're not, we're not for just traditional marriage here. We're for biblical marriage here. Well, that, that don't change. The society can change. Traditions will change. But history doesn't change. You, you can might rewrite but somebody's going to remember the truth. Amen. That's why God has given us this media. This media is written word, not a, a, a oral word where we just tell it like a story of telephone where I tell, I tell the deacon something he'll run back and tell Miss Grady and it goes on to Miss Sheila, Miss Virginia until all the way to the back of the church. And when we get to the back of the church, it might be something totally different because somebody might have thought it's funny to change a word or two. But that's not how we got our Bible. 
God has given this text here and it's established and He's been faithful not to have it defiled or written wrong or misplaced certain commands and statutes and we adhere to what He says. Okay, let us continue here. And verse number 3, And He gave a sign that same day. This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. In verse 4, And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, when she cried out against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Seize him! And his hand which was stretched out against him dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. We see that the king who is Jeroboam points at the man and God in his authority and his power causes the hand to shrivel up. We don't see as we continue to read what the heart of Jeroboam changes. His hand just matches his heart, dried up and shriveled. Mm. Not only does his heart or does his hand become drawn up and shriveled, and he could not draw it back. In verse 5, the altar was also torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given. By the word of the Lord. At this point, it doesn't really say if the altar just split, just laid down, if it just tore down the middle and the ashes poured out. But I want you to see this king, this pagan king, who God ordained and gave the same promises that He gave to Solomon. He said, if you adhere to my commandments and you follow closely to my rules and statutes, I will bless you and secure your borders just like I have Solomon. But he could not. He couldn't. He wanted to secure his borders. He wanted to make sure he helped God along. I know God said he'll give me half the kingdom, but I want to start another religion. See, the point was, he was to split the nation into two, not start two religions. If he just believed God and just trusted God, then this 400 years of apostasy would have been wiped out. We see that the ashes are now on the ground. The, the, the altar is leveled and the hand of the king is shriveled. And verse number 6, And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. You notice how he speaks. The same God that this... We call him. A, 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 he's from Judah, Judean. Judean. He's from Judah. The same God that spoke to this young man to prophesy against the altar is the same God that spoke to Jeroboam. But He tells him, "You pray for me. Pray for me that God would hear from you." Many times we can read back in the book of Exodus where Pharaoh prayed. Pharaoh cried out to Moses to pray, and Moses would intercede on his behalf. Uh, Many times you will see that in our world, the wicked and the pagan will beg the Christian, pray for me. People who would never pick up a Bible or even cry out to the Lord themselves. Please inquire the Lord for me. This lets me know that he still had a hard heart even though his hand was shriveled and hardened as well. Uh, We can see that the altar is level behind him. Even though this is miraculous and incredible, it does not change his heart. Church, I want to let you know that miracles, eclipse, splitting of the Red Sea, people walking in water, raising the dead will not change a person's heart. 
Miracles is not what convinced people to trust in God. The man's hand is shriveled up. The altar is split behind him. And his heart is still hardened. And he inquires of the man of God to pray for him. So we don't really need miracles. We, we don't need miracles. Let's be honest. If God does a miracle, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. God can do what He wants. So let us not pray for miracles. Let's pray biblically for God to send the laborers into the field to preach the gospel. Because that's the only thing that will change the hearts of men and women and children through our nation. We don't need a candidate to rise up to get on the Republican, the Republican ticket and we get behind him and ride the red wave to the White House. That's that's not what we need. We don't need more laws. We don't, we don't need to fight the culture. We need gospel preachers and teachers to stand up and prick the hearts of those who are lost. It really, honestly, it's not the preacher who's doing anything. It's the anvil of God and the hammer of God beating the dross off of the hearts of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins until they come to life. Like Ezekiel 26, 36 says, dry dead bones that become to rattle when the Ezekiel prophesies over the dead. They just come together. They stand up and God breathes. And notice it's God who breathes over them. And they come to life. That's what we need. Yes. We see. He says, pray to the Lord for me. In, in, in your Bible, you'll see, in, the king said to the man of God, entreat now the favor of the Lord. Now, the word Lord in your Bible is capitalized. That's the word Yahweh. That's his name. He says, the favor of Yahweh your God. Now, don't it make more sense as you read it? Yahweh, your God. Yahweh is His name. Hallelujah. And pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. Jeroboam would rather have his hand restored than his soul saved. Isn't that really how it is? That's what the world wants. Don't mess with my checkbook. Restore to me my wealth and prosperity. But don't worry. Don't worry about my soul, preacher. Don't worry. I, I'm good. I'm closer to Jesus in this deer stand on a Sunday morning than you are in your pulpit. Oh. Right. Right. They would rather have the blessings of God. But that's all they'll get in this life is the blessings of God because the wrath of God will remain on them in the afterlife. He wants the restoring of his hand, not the restoring of his soul. The same God who spoke to him when he was much younger under the rule of Solomon is the same God who's speaking to him now. And he could have repented. He could have called out and asked for the man saying, hey, how can I be saved? But he won't. Is it true, preacher, that God had turned him over to his sins? Absolutely. We read that in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. I just don't know where the limit is. I don't know where your limit is. I I don't know where the line is where you can walk with Jesus but dance with the devil. That is not even possible. Why would you even want to do that? Why would you want to play with sin? That's right. And the man of God entreated the Lord. He asked God. Did you know asking God will not change God's mind? What does it do then? Well, it changes you. It changes you, pleader. Whoever is pleading for that person, it changes you. Yes. You'll see God's mercy. You'll see God's grace. You'll you'll walk in His statutes and walk a little closer with Jesus. He entreated the Lord. He entreated Yahweh. And the king's hand was restored to him as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. 
he says to this young young man of God, come home with me. Let's, let's have a meal. Let's, let's fellowship. I, I know I, I, I'm outside God's commands in His favor. I know I'm apostate. But come and break bread with me. Have fellowship. Let's, let's just put all things aside. I know we're on different si- sides of the line. I know you're from the south. I'm up here at north. And I know things are kind of hairy. Let's, let's just have a discussion. In fact, I'll give you a reward. He tempts the young man. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go with you. And I will not break bread or drink water in this place. He's talking about Bethel. The place of apostate, apostate worshiping. Uh, 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 another gospel. Another preaching. Uh, another God. It's, that has nothing to do with the one true God. Verse 9, For so it was commanded of me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way, and did not return by the way he had came to Bethel. Now in verse number 9, you might say, Well, why did God have him? Why did God tell him to do that? Why, why did he tell him to go a whole other way? I don't know why God does anything. I don't know why He saved anybody. In fact, if He just let everybody go to hell, that would be fair. Let's be honest. If we were all in hell right now, we'd say, yeah, checks out. It makes sense. I know me. I don't know you, but I know why I'm here. We see that the young man is... He's telling this king, I'm not going to eat with you. I'm not even coming the way I came because God told me not to. Possibly, the young man will probably... Received threats on the way back because he prophesied against the altar. This pagan religion had a huge following. It it captured ten of those tribes of Israel. His life could have been on the line, or he could have, it could have, could have caused uh, uh, him to be caught up and get out of the country quickly, as he would have to explain as he went through each town as he gets back down to the south. Uh, what happened over at Bethel? He would have to explain. So he needed to go around a long way to come back home. But God has His reasons. Maybe it was a simple fact of just following the simple task that I tell you to do to show your loyalty to me. That's possibly what it is. As simple as that. I wonder what has God what has God placed on your heart and told you to do that was so simple, but you find yourself not a hearing. What do you mean, preacher? What do you mean not a hearing and listening? Well, as we continue to read, I, I'm sure you've already read. This young man doesn't. In fact, he's lied to. He's poached. He was bamboozled. He was hoodwinked. In verse number 11, now an old prophet lived in Bethel. First of all, I want to ask the congregation, why is this old prophet who is considered an old prophet, and a prophet is someone who hears from God, Yahweh, the one true God of Scripture, why is he in Bethel? Didn't I already establish that the Levites and those who followed the Lord went back to Jerusalem? They migrated away from a pagan place. But he's an old, established prophet. Everybody knew him. There he is in Bethel. And notice in his sons. It's it's possible that his son or his sons worked in this pagan ministry. For he gave it, he gave it a little, a little bit of class because he, he was an old prophet. Everybody knew he heard of the Lord. He spoke the words of the Lord. But there his son is working in the ministry so he cannot rise up and speak against the altar. 
Because he's cutting off his own hand and disgracing a new pagan religion as well as putting his own son out of job. The things we do. The things we do for money. Isn't it strange? No, I don't do it for the money. I do it for the... Well, you, might, you put whatever, you, whatever reason there. It could be, it's, really, it's just an idol. This man adhered statutes and he, he, he adhered honor. He, he's an old prophet. He's, he's done his work and now he's retiring he's, his later years in life and he's comfortable there in Bethel and he has not spoken against the very altar that's an abomination to God. And his sons came and told him all that the men of God had done that day in Bethel. Well, what in the world is his sons doing there at the altar anyway? Why are they at Bethel? If he's an old prophet, why are his children adhering to the things that are abomination to the one true God? The things we do. I, I wonder I wonder if you notice here that his compromise leads into the next generation. Mm, yeah, it's kind of quiet. I felt the pulse there. Let me put my finger on it. Just to give a little here. Now, we don't have to go to church. I know you got ball practice this Sunday. So let's go chase that little white ball instead of chasing Jesus. What are the percentages that your kid will stand before a, 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 a recruiter for a college? It's pretty slim. But there's a 100% chance they'll stand before God on Judgment Day. Habits, holy habits should be instilled in our children. Yes. I, know, I know we're just human flesh and bone. I know we slip and I know we, we slack when we shouldn't. Thank God for grace. Who knows, you might find yourself by the altar of Bethel because you compromise so much. Let us not find ourselves there. And if you're there, if you're close to there, your grandchildren are off away. We'll be an example now. Be a lighthouse on the on the shore that could can wreck your family on the rocks. Illuminate and show them. Hey, come to Jesus, serve Him, honor Him, be all in, submitted and committed to Him only. Right on. we, we see that they go and they tell the father the words that was spoken to the king. He said, "What to the king? Our king?" The guy from down south, he came from Judah and he came up here and said that about our altar. And he did what to his hand? In verse number 12, And their fathers said to, and, and their father said to them, Which way did he go? Which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? First of all, if he's a prophet, he would know. I'm just saying. Right? Hey, you feel me? Okay. You see, see he, uh, he, I guess he's a blind prophet, right? He must be. Or he just, he's on the wrong side. He, he used to be a man of God. He's just not now. Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I will not return with you or go with you, neither will I eat bread or drink water in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way you came. I'm not going with you. God told me not to associate with anybody here. 
He came. He told me to come and deliver a message. And don't even come back the same way I came. So I'm not going with you. I know who you are. In fact, we know about you back home. You're an old prophet. I'm not going with you. Verse number 18. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. We're brothers. We work for the same team. I understand the, tr- the, 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 the troubles that you face. I understand the burden that you carry as a minister. I understand. I'm an old minister myself. I've got years of experience. Why don't you come home with me? Rest your head. I, I feel your belly. We can have camaraderie, friendship. We see... And he says, uh, and he said to him, I am also a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Uh, Church, I want to just not move too quickly here. Is this young man from Judah had inquired of the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him? And he gets a message saying, hey, God told me that you come to my house. You need to come on with me. And God gave him exact instructions on what to do. And this is the exact opposite. Why didn't this young man inquire of the Lord right there? Why didn't he cry out to God? We know he walks in the power of God. The anointing's on him. He shriveled the king's hand. The altar behind him burst open and leveled the altar. Why, why didn't he? Well, first of all, he had to backtrack because the old prophet actually followed him because his son said he went that way. He goes that way because the young prophet went that way. And now they're backtracking. He's doing exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. Congregation, I wonder, do we do that? Do we literally do the opposite of what God has called us to do? Even when we walk in power and authority. Even when we do great works in His name, we find ourselves doing the exact opposite. Even though we do something wonderful in front of people, whether it's splitting an altar or mending a marriage or working out, counseling someone, helping somebody, but uh, along the way, it's the little things that get us caught up. Little things that tangle us up. Uh, we need to learn in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless those who do this and they are called that you may attain a blessing. First of all, the wickedness that he is receiving. This is a grave wickedness that this old prophet has done to this young man. One, one reason it could be he could tell the king that I brought that prophet, I brought the prophet back and he came with me and we ate. And you know, he ain't that bad. Maybe it's to give him some clout. Or maybe it's to win him over and and persuade him. Hey, this ain't that bad. It's convenient. I want to let you know, before we judge this young minister, let us remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he falls. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. That means don't look down from your high horse on somebody, on anybody, especially in the annuals of the Bible. I know when we read it, it's so easy to look at David. Look at David killing people, sleeping with their wives. Man, I would have never done that. You probably did. You probably are. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what's due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Who are we to judge anybody? 
We see that this young man who received revelation from God took the word of another person instead of God. Congregation, I want us to be warned about this. No, I'm not talking about when you go home and you climb in your bed and you see a vision from heaven where God opens the curtains of glory and He stands there and He speaks to you. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to make sure you know that, that, that we don't need that because in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son who he has appointed the heir of all things through whom He has created the world. That means that God speaks through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, we established that. That we don't need dreams and visions. That means we don't need prophets. We don't need a parking lot prophets. What do I mean? When you walk out of church tonight, don't, don't be, uh, don't be uh, sideswiped by somebody who comes up to me and says, God told me to tell you this. God wants me to, God wants me to tell you this. Don't listen to Him. Why not, preacher? You've got the Bible. That's, that's what you need. Now, I'm not saying that God ain't talking to people. He can. And if He wants to, He will. But I, you're going to run that through the filter of the Bible. For an example, He's not going to tell you because 10 years ago today, the, the Sandy Hook massacre took place. 20 children died as well as 6 adults there in that community. Somebody just walked into the school and just killed people. The defense could say, well, God told them to do it. But what are we going to say about that? Well, if God told them to do it, what can we do? Thou shalt not kill. Okay. Don't sound like God to me. Don't sound like that. That's something God will tell us to do. I'm going to marry that woman. Well, she's married to him. You can't do that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Do you see how we use the Bible? Sola Scriptura. The Bible alone. You're safe in the boundaries of the Bible. That's why you don't believe everything you think. Because we're fallen. You run it through the filter of what the Bible says. This is what we have. This young man had a revelation from God. God spoke to him. And some person walked up who was an old prophet, had a nice long beard, probably had diamond rings on and special robes, looked really holy, said, hey, God told me to to tell you to do the opposite. And he fell for it. We do the same thing. We fall for it every time. Some fancy, flashy preacher tells you something counter to what the Bible says, and we go, okay, and we go do it. We hire those kinds of people to be in pulpits to just tickle our ears. We snort sugar, snort it right up our nose instead of adhering to the salt that preserves. And that sugar gets you high. It causes your feet to rot off and you go blind. You lose your soul. That's why I beg you to have your Bibles open when I'm preaching. Because I might not always be here. There might be another preacher up here who says, you don't need to open your Bibles. Oh, first off, that should be alarms. I'm opening my Bible. Where's that at? Chapter and verse, please. That's another thing you can say. God told me to tell you this. What chapter and verse is that in? Let me see. Say that again. Let me look at that. Look it up. In fact, you don't need no middleman. God told me to tell you. Oh, yeah. Well, I was praying to him this morning. He didn't say nothing about that. So I don't need you. I don't know what you're doing. You go back and tell your father lies that I don't need I don't need somebody else to tell me something. I've got all I need right here. Amen. Amen. That's good. You better stamp that on your mind and your heart because theology will wreck you. Yes. Twenty years ago I was stuck in some bad theology. I won't get into it. You don't need to hear all about it. But it caused me to put off having children for a decade. 
because I was in some bad theology. I didn't think God was big enough to take care of me. I waited because I didn't want to bring children to the world where I had an uncertain God who was weak. Until God snatched me and said, no, 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 son, read this. Let me show you. I'm in control. I reign over everything. And then we got babies. And we're living. We're not putting off things because we think the world's going to just collapse somewhere. God is on the throne. He goes forth and He conquers. He reigns. So why do I have to worry? See how important theology is and the understanding? And I didn't need to get that by second hand. I need to study the Word and honor God and believe what He said. And not believe men. Not believe seminaries. Or we call them cemeteries because you go there to die. You just lose faith in what the Bible says because they break down everything and make you take a cynical look at what the Bible says instead of trusting and believing Him. Don't get me wrong. If you want to go to theology, get a theology degree, go ahead. It's the study of, study of God, but make sure you're studying God and not the philosophies of men. Yes, that's right. We see here, but He lied to him. He blatantly lied. Did you know, congregation, I didn't really know this. Sherry helped me with this. My wife, she helped me. People will lie to you. <laughs> I know, Edward, it shocked me too. I did, I did not believe it. She said, they're liars. I'm like, what? They're nice. They're nice people. No, they're liars. They're nice liars. That's right, brother. They're really nice at lying. They sure. But she, she would tell me because I'm, I'm just hugging people, loving people, and I just had the best. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I got my flaws. You can ask Sherry. But I, I just believe people because I want to be sincere here. But not everybody's sincere. People will blatantly lie to you, use you, and ruin you. Yes. And they have a reason. What was his reason? I don't really know. The Bible don't really say. But he blatantly lied to the young man. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. They had a lot in common. They went to the same high school. They're friends. They were in the same job. In verse 20, as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. Notice, it's the prophet who receives the word of the Lord. The old prophet, not the young man. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, and not kept the command that God, your God, had commanded you. But you have come back and eaten bread and drunk water in the place which He has said, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall come to the tomb. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after He had eaten the bread and drank, He saddled the donkey for the prophet He had brought back. And as He went away, a lion met Him on the road and killed Him. And his body was thrown in the road and his donkey stood beside him, beside it. And the lion also stood beside the body. Before we go any further, God speaks to the false prophet one more time. God has done this before. We've seen. If you remember Balaam, who was a, a mercenary hired by the wicked kings who wanted to curse the children of Israel. As he stood over them, he couldn't do anything but speak the words of the Lord. I've told you, congregation, that the devil is still God's devil. Yes, you should be afraid of him. He was an anointed cherubim. That means he's the baddest of the bad. He's been around 6,000 years. He can't read your mind, but he certainly knows all the tricks of the trade. He can read body language. He can manipulate. He knows how to bait your hook. You are not a formidable opponent to him. He will slaughter you with no problem. But I want to remind you, God keeps him on a leash. Yes. 
He is only going so far as He allows. God is still on the throne. Balaam preached and spoke over the people of Israel and blessed them because God is sovereign even over the principalities and the powers of hell. God still reigns. So He speaks to the false prophet. Sometimes a false prophet might say the truth accidentally. Or God might just not get a hold of their jowls and they jab it and say the truth. But God is still God even though this young man failed. That's right. Even though he sinned, we see that he's killed in the street. How does he kill? Well, verse 24, a lion met him on the road, and his body was thrown in the road. The donkey stood beside it, and also the lion. This shows me in verse 24 that God is sovereign even over the wild animals. Amen. For the, the simple nature of a lion is to hunt, to kill, to eat. He simply kills the man and stands there. But his favorite snack is right beside him, a donkey. Man, lions love donkeys. Boy, they got they're some good eating. I don't know. That's weird that I said that. But donkeys were, are a delicacy to lions. But the donkey and the lion stood there beside each other to show the sovereignty of God, that this was divinely appointed, that God ordered this to take place. A sign to the people in the street. Oh, that's that prophet who spoke. But there he is lying dead. Does that mean the prophecy ain't going to come true? Oh, it comes true all right. 2 Kings chapter 22-23. But also it shows that God is divine and He reigns over the wild animals as the lion stood there as well as the donkey. The donkey didn't run and the lion didn't go chasing. In verse 25, And behold, men passed and saw the body thrown into the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came upon it and told to the city, where the old prophet lived. And the old prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord was given him to, given him to the lion and has torn him and killed him according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. And he saddled it. He went and found his body thrown in the road and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. Congregation, I want to let you know, this didn't take place in a couple of hours. They didn't have Twitter, the internet. They didn't have ABC News. They didn't have helicopters and choppers with spotlights on this situation. This young man had been laying in the road for a while because the rumor spread to the city. Finally, it got to the old man. and He's an old man, so he ain't going quick. So he gets on his donkey and he comes there. At this point, this, this young man is now decayed. He's, his rigor mortis has leapt in. And, 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 uh, and some reason, the animals didn't come and feed on him because there was a lion there and a donkey. So he comes up on his body. The lion is there beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet 29 took up the, man, the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city. To mourn and bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. And he mourned over him saying, Alas, my brother. Verse 30. If he was his brother, why did he lie to him? Unsincere. If you call me a friend and you lie to me, you're not really my friend. You are not my friend. In fact, you most likely are my enemy. If you don't cause me to stay faithful to what God has called me to do, then you ain't on my side. I'm I'm just helping people here. You're an obstacle. Maybe God put you there to test me. But either way, we're not on the same team. 
we see here that he says, Alas, my brother. And after he buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. In verse 32, the old prophet believes it. He believes that this young man was the real deal Holyfield. He believes that he's the real thing. He, he just says, that's legit. He really is a man of God. I don't know if this point the man changes. I don't know if this point if he starts serving and honoring God. But we don't read nowhere in the chapter where he goes up to the king and corrects him for his apostasy and leading the nation astray. We don't see that. He says it's going to come to pass and it certainly does. In verse 33, after this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way but made priests for the high places again from among all the people who would he ordained to be priests of the high places. In verse 33, he would not change. He heard the preaching of the young man. He saw his hand wither. He saw the altar get leveled. But he continued marching toward destruction, not believing the warnings. Happens every Sunday, every Wednesday. Happens when I preach on TV. Happens when I go to the prison. It happens when I sit down one-on-one with the Hope Center. It happens in the public square when I meet people or I sit down privately with them and tell them to repent, but they will not. It happens in your lives when you tell people and you warn them about the gospel because I'm not the only preacher here. You will reach your eyes also telling people about the truth, telling them that there is a God and there's a judgment day and you will stand before Him. But they continue to continue to continue in their sin. He does this, but not only at this point after God has warned him, he heaps up wrath for himself even more. He gets more priests. He gets more high places. More altars. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off to destroy it from the face of the earth. As we survey verse 34, I want you to imagine we're on the highest mountain there in Israel and we're looking over the, the, um, uh, the mountains of sin. In fact, if we're on the highest mountain, the, the sin has gone over the mountain and we're under it now. That we see how God wants to destroy and wipe it off the face of the earth. Sin upon sin. I learned a phrase a long time ago, people's going to do what they want to do. Unless God changes them. I'm not talking about they don't. It's not that they need they need therapy. They don't need to be isolated from their temptations. They don't need proper training. They don't need education. They don't even need to learn a trade. They need to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. Well, what can we do? What can we do today? What, how does this apply to us? I know we read this story and it, we almost feel a little mixed feelings about the prophet at the end, the old man who says, all oh, this is going to be true. Put my bones beside his bones. When Josiah rises up in about 400 years, he'll go in and wipe out all the high places and bring reformation to this nation and cause them to serve the one true God. But how does that apply to us today? God will rise up prophets. He will rise up young evangelists. And they will stumble and they will fall. They will get their eyes off the prize. They will make mistakes. But He has sent one ultimate prophet who has not slipped, who has never taken a loss, who has not failed. I want to let you know, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16-17, to 
Let the word of the Lord, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to the heart, to our hearts, to the Lord our God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through Him, through Him who is Christ. It's the Word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. What is the Word of Christ? Is that God pulling back the clouds of heaven saying, Christ at us? No. It's, it's the, the Word of Christ is the words that are written about Christ. We need to understand in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, for all, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing in division of the soul, of the spirit, and the joints of the marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What are you alluding to, preacher, here? If you want more Christ, you need more Word, more Bible. Yes. Yes. We need to understand that Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation. That means I know I'm saved. And the sword of the Spirit, that is your Bible, which is the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon that the Christian has is God's Bible. Not feelings, not unctions, not I feel this, I feel this way. And feelings come and go. It might not be a feeling, it might be a burrito you had at lunch. You need to make sure that it's in the Word. What's the Bible say about that situation? Well, what does it what does it tell me to do? How am I supposed to carry on myself? I want to let you know that we don't worship the Bible. We don't, we don't worship King James. We don't worship the ESV or whatever version you use. We don't put it up in the Holy Trinity. It's the fourth guy on the side. We don't do that. The Bible points us to God. It points us to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit convicts sin and, and drives us to Jesus. And Jesus reconciles sinners to God. That's how it works. But don't let some old prophet, somebody with a a little bit of PhDs on a couple of letters behind his name come along and tell you something different to what the Word says. This, I know, I know society saying this is so narrow-minded that the words don't even match up to our society today. today. The, the, are y'all serious? I mean, they're just making up words now. I mean, they're, uh, selfie is a new word that we come up with in the last 10 years. Uh, uh, all kinds of different things. We got genders now that are made up. Somebody wants to be an Apache helicopter, they're an Apache helicopter. I'm a billy goat. I'm a puppy. That's, we're just making up stuff now. But this is not made up. We have over 40 different authors, over 1,500 years, three different languages, different occupations from slaves to cupbearers to kings to shepherds. And they wrote about one thing. The coming King who will save us all and redeem us. And His name is Jesus. So God is still speaking today through His Word. Don't let somebody catch you up. God told me to tell you this. Oh, really? Okay, what chapter and verse? That's why it's safe to say here at the river, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I'm not fencing you in. I'm putting up guardrails for you to live a life honoring God, understanding good, rich theology. That way you'll produce good, rich doxology, worshiping God through every facet of your life. No matter what you do, you're worshiping God. Amen.
Because God told you something. Do you know what He told you? Or somebody telling you along the way who has a couple of, uh, a couple of clout, a couple of PhDs, and a little bit of understanding. They have bigger words than you could ever understand coming out of their mouth. If God has told you what to do, you continue along that path, trusting Him and honoring Him. Let us bow our heads and pray.